Welcome to the Long Only Podcast. I'm Doug. Jerry. Jerry, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Doug? I'm okay. Our recording schedule is a little off due to some, some travel and whatnot. So we're recording the day after the Super Bowl. Nothing's perfect. Nothing is perfect. Certainly not if you're working with me. Uh, the day after the Super Bowl, uh, here we are, live and in, in, in living color. Yeah. On the YouTube channel, Jerry, any thoughts about the, the game? Well, yeah, I mean, as a former avid 49er fan, and, and I will clarify some things, and I was crazy avid when I was growing up in the Bay Area, Giants too, kind of lost a little of the luster in recent years. But I have to say, one of the things I didn't, you know, I didn't like the whole Colin Kaepernick thing, but I actually re- remembered yesterday when the, the game was on, what actually turned me off to the Niners was when Eddie DeBartolo basically gave the team to his sister. <laughs> and it's like, it, it seemed like they just gave up. They had this incredible franchise with just, you know, this was the you know, Joe Montana, Steve Young era. And it just, it, it seemed, seemed like they gave up and all of a sudden the team just went south and didn't, wasn't very good for a while there. And I guess now, I mean, has there been three Super Bowls that they've been in? Since they won Super Bowls back in the day, that they no, I did the the rough math uh, today, and they've appeared in five. Montana was the quarterback for four of them. Steve Young was the quarterback for one. I'm sorry, they won five. They won and five, then, won and then and then Young won two. Young won one. Who won the other one? Montana won four, and Young won one. I thought well, my- Young Young was on. I think he was on the '89 team, but he didn't start. Right, I know mean, he didn't start, for, but I thought Montana won three. No, he won four. Okay. So it, Young, so Young has two rings. One as a starter. They lost one with Kaepernick, and then they lost one. Uh, so there's only two that they've been in since then. Yeah, so they've got seven total, five wins, two losses. Yeah. So, so. I, I mean, I think that uh, it was put it this way. I mean, it, it was a back being a pretty exciting team again. I think it's just too bad that they uh, a few mistakes here and there, a couple mistakes. Weird ones like the punt hitting the guy in the back of the foot. I would argue he had no business being there, but that's a whole another discussion. Yeah, but it was you know it was an, certainly an entertaining game. Well, I think only the second time we've had an overtime in the Super Bowl. Yep, was an entertaining game. I remember so, back, well, at least the end was, was kind of a slugfest. Back in the day, there used to be this Amer- AFC NFC thing. Like if the NFC won, the market went up, <laughs> and if they didn't, the market went down for the next year or whatever. I thought somewhere along the line, I think that got. Text that was it's not a thing anymore. That was like under correlation does not imply causation. You know, who knows? The market gets off on these crazy things, but anyway, so but yeah, it was good. Speaking of the market, Phoenix Open and the game at the same time there at the end of the Phoenix Open, which was also kind of exciting with a couple of pretty amazing three, three great putts at the end, uh, in the playoff holes, and then of course. The last one of which won it, Nick Taylor, Canadian. The it, it is the end of January and the beginning of February is a nuts time to be in Phoenix and Scottsdale. It seems like every other year we host a Super Bowl, and <laughs> which is a mixed blessing to say the least. And then there's always the Phoenix Open, which is, I'm not a golf guy, so but it is disturbingly close to where where we live and work and so we're affected by the traffic and where my kids go to school i mean the parking lot's basically one of the parking lots is right across the street from my kids go to school and then you add in the construction and the traffic it was 
I had to leave town for a night to go to Spokane, Washington for, for personal reasons that Jerry knows about. And I was, I was trading up in weather. So to leaving Phoenix in February, going to Washington, to, or at least overall circumstances because of all the, the rain and traffic. But yesterday, the, the, the uh, final round of the Open was a beautiful day, obviously. It so, was a beautiful day. But the days before, I, there were guys on the tour that were saying it was the coldest they've ever been playing golf on the PGA Tour. Well, in, Phoenix, well, Jack, in Scottsdale, Arizona, who would, who would think that? But anyway. Well, anyway. And, and also, I think between some of the fan behavior and whatnot, I, think, I feel like the pros are kind of over the Phoenix Open. So. Do we sell? Do we sell the Phoenix Open? Do we sell it? No, I think it's a. It's a. No, I think it's going to continue on. They might need to temper some of this down. I guess somebody got hurt, so they have to wait for somebody to get hurt before they kind of bring some sanity back into it. I mean, I think it's a. It, it is a great event. They just let it get a little out of hand here, so they need to rein it in a bit. Golf just isn't the sport of the proletariat. So, you know, what are you going to say? They're trying to make it desperately in some ways. That's the argument that that's what Liv is, is looking to do. And, and look, I, I, I'm i all for bringing more people into the, you know, as fans particularly and players. I, mean, I think it's great. But kind of one of the great things about golf is there's a, there's a you know, respectful aspect to it that you don't get in some other sports. So let's, let's try and keep some semblance of that while also allowing for people to have fun and, and Open white, you know, bring being more under the tent, so to speak. And there are some great players out there. I mean, really, for someone that plays golf and respects how hard it is, there are some great players out there, young players particularly. But and you see, you got these guys uh, playing up into their sixties and seventies in the senior tour that are amazing golfers. So it's that's the uniqueness of golf. It can continue going on, although. Uh, now I can't think of his name. The 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 guy that's doing really well on the Bernard Happy Gilmore. Bernard Langer, I think, oh. who, who's done really well on the on the senior tour, just just ruptured his Achilles. And I can speak from personal experience that that is not fun. Well, this is the year of the Achilles between uh, Aaron Rodgers and then uh, we had Greenlaw last night who ruptured his Achilles entering the field quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then there was another prominent Achilles injury too by a quarterback. I'm trying, oh, uh, Kirk Cousins. Kirk so that's right. Yeah, lots of Achilles issues this year. All right. Now that we've done five minutes on sports, I think it's related to forced vaccinations. <laughs> Maybe. Could uh, be. So, all right. So our our intro is open. We warmed up the crowd. Jerry. Uh, as I've always said, at least for the past 18 months, the only kind of marketing I care about is bull marketing. And the market is is going up. It's been kind to us recently after being too rough on us uh, before that. So we're seeing a return to fundamentals. I think so. I think that's a, there may be an, a bit of an inflection. This, this earnings season has been quite good, frankly. I mean, we, we, we generally, you know... We generally see pretty darn good earnings from our companies. That's you know that's because they're growing, innovative companies. Um, but in the, a lot in the last you know two and a half years or so, uh, while growth companies were out of favor as interest rates and inflation were taking center stage, it seemed you could have good earnings and it didn't matter. Uh, the market was so hyper focused on the macro inflation interest rate story and. 
no doubt. And as, as we've said, there's there are reasons why that's that has affected some companies and, and companies, for example, that sold uh, to customers who required financing in order to purchase capital equipment, for example, uh, really were being hurt by higher interest rates, dampening the desire to borrow money in order to finance purchases. So that's very real. It's a very real economic and, and, and business impact. Um, but for in, in the aggregate, it, you know, it, the higher inflation, higher interest rates, from the standpoint of what it did to the businesses, at least that we own it, it really was was somewhat not you know inconsequential. Um, and you, when you talk to companies that they were they were firing along as normal, you know. They make adjustments. I think that's the, the main thing. It's one of the reasons why, um, you know, companies, ownership of companies ends up in the long run being a good inflation hedge because companies adapt to these things. But in any short period of time, the market really focuses on, uh, you know, speculation over what's going to happen from a macro standpoint, what the effect of interest rates and inflation are going to be on the, on the economy and on companies. And I think it gets it wrong a lot. And I think this inflection right now, I would say this this current earnings season, which is you know getting close to winding up, winding down, winding up, winding down, it's winding down now, has been one of the better earnings seasons we've seen in a while on two fronts. One, actual numbers that companies are coming out with. I mean, and I think whatever tempering companies had been doing in the last year or so in their expectations, you know, they continue to beat and for in the aggregate, and so. Uh, you know, those so-called macro headwinds don't seem to be, again, in the aggregate, there's always those pockets of, of weakness or trouble, but in the aggregate, they've been, they've been fine. And what I think maybe changed now, or it looks like it might be changing is you're seeing stock price reactions on the fundamentals, as opposed to just what's the Fed saying, what's the Fed saying, what's the Fed saying. And I think, you know, that's still, that will come back into, you know, the forefront as the Fed has their meetings and statements and you know announcements and what have you, but uh, it, it, it's refreshing to see. And again, I, I'll call it somewhat of an inflection point that uh, there were times over the last couple of years where we would look at earnings and we say, "Well, yeah, let's see, they beat their raising guidance on both revenue and earnings. Um, what's wrong?" And the stock's down ten, fifteen percent. Yeah. So, and God forbid they actually reported a, you know, a less than expected, um, you know, earnings or, you know, quarter that was less than expected. You know, this, you know, you'd see stocks getting now 25, 30, 40% sometimes. So, uh, yeah, I think that that is a, an important thing to point out from the standpoint of, of those that are, you know, in the long run, it, it's just a blip, but you know, we're here talking every week about what's happening out there in the, in the world and the markets. And, you know, when, when we, when there's a, an observation like that, I think it's worth mentioning from the standpoint of, you know, maybe we're past this period of hyper focus on innovation as being bad <laughs> in many ways. That's what was going on in the last couple of years. If you were an innovative growing company, you thought, Oh, that can't work. You, know, you have to, we got to hunker down now and raise cash and hold it forever and ever because inflation is going to, you know, skyrocket. And, and and I don't want to underscore that inflation is even when it's at a level that people consider acceptable, it's still 
you know, 2% means you're going to lose value of your dollar. So you better be hedging by way of owning companies that have the ability to, to combat that. And if you look at just in the broader, you know, indices, use the S and P 500 for that matter. The, the, the performance, if you will, of the market versus inflation has been stellar. I mean, it's not even close. So uh, as opposed to the performance of fixed investments over time, you, you, you're guaranteed, if you have a fixed return, you're guaranteed to be affected negatively by interest rates. Will, will they, I mean, excuse me, by inflation, you know, will, will you maybe get some premium over, over inflation? You know, very, very minor you know, if you just hold cash, you basically get the inflation rate. So you're not really, uh, you know, you're not really making any money. You're not making any money on a real basis. You're not making any money over time. So uh, argues for, uh, as we always do, we argues for long-term investment, but just making a note and pointing out that, the, that this is the first time in a while that we feel we've seen reactions that are more consistent with what we might expect when there's been fundamental good news though. And and that's in the, in the face of what is not a very healthy economic environment. I think we should have some policies that actually are favorable to small and growing businesses. I mean, then what, you know, it might be, you know, Katie bar the door, it's taken off. That was what happened in the eighties. And a rising tide raised all boats. I mean, you know, all, all kinds of companies in all different sizes did well, but the fact that the market has been so driven by, you know, we say the Magnificent Seven, call it 10, certainly 20 names. I mean, that's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous that, that, that we are seeing that kind of, of performance so concentrated with the largest of the largest mega, mega, mega cap names, mega sized names. And that's not healthy. It's not healthy for the long term performance of the economy um, because it's from innovation that you get competition, that you get, uh, you know, better product, better services and better pricing. That's just all there is to it. The best way to combat inflation is to grow the economy. Use up that excess money that was, that was created. Unfortunately, the, the, the policymakers tinker, and it ends up in both directions. It ends up being, it, it, it rarely ends well from the standpoint of how, how, how well did they accomplish the objective they set out to do? They basically don't co- accomplish the objective. If, if, if they did, we wouldn't have this, this issue of inflation. So there we go. Well, the, it seems that, we're all kind of waited with bated breath for the Fed to do something, maybe an interest rates cutting. The, the window is closing for them to do something. The conventional wisdom is three or four cuts this year. They're not looking like looking like maybe it won't happen in March, but they aren't going to want to do it too close to the election. So that there's relatively that April, May, June, July window where they historically would enact the, those kind of those kind of changes. But we are in this period now where it does seem that that the for, and again, it's been it's been good to us. Hopefully, it lasts. But we're in this period now where it actually seems like the Fed is just being neutral. It's like the Fed isn't affecting things one way or the other too much, which is which is nice to see because we don't want the market just just skyrocketing simply because the Fed decided to make money free again. 
that's not the the best long term either. So sort of sort of. Well, go ahead. Sorry. No, we're just sort of in this nice in this nice period where companies and it could be when I say period, I mean we could be talking about a period of a few weeks when it's all said and done, maybe a few months where companies are kind of the 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 companies and the stock prices are kind of left to to stand on their own without any wind at their sales, which is okay. Kind of how it should be. That's how it should be. Uh, and we we could only hope for a, an environment where we didn't have to be thinking and worrying about what policymakers were going to be doing on a monthly basis and for that matter, a daily basis. Um, maybe the tide is turning there as well. And there's some recognition that policy matters. And uh, that, that goes back to the question of our time. How much, how much involvement should government have in everything in anything and everything. And what we would say is there's, I think that there's ample evidence that, uh, as little as is possible to, to, to still maintain an orderly society and, uh, you know, enforcing contracts and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, longstanding line, you know, government's role should be to provide for a defense and to enforce contract. And beyond that, there's not a whole lot more that it should do. Now, I mean, that's a, that's a gross generalization, but if we can, the closer we can get to that, the, the better off the the free enterprise system is going to be um, and in in that you know it's it will be able to it'll be free to innovate it will be free to you know, just grow uh, unencumbered by you know much of what is weighing down businesses right now which is a really heavy hand of government I don't I think it's hard it's just hard for anybody who's sane and and paying attention to to argue that somehow we haven't gone a little a bit overboard on the the regulatory crush that's hitting small business. And when I say small business, I'm talking about almost everything that's not these mega giant companies that's, that have the wherewithal to be able to pay for whatever the regulatory regime is you know, requiring. And, and therefore, that's why I've always said regulation benefits incumbency. And that's, that's just not what we want. We want to have, if look, if incumbent, if the incumbents can win in a, in a, in a truly free enterprise marketplace, and so be it. No problem with companies getting bigger. I want my companies to get big and be in a position like that. Um, they have to keep innovating. And sometimes it means they have to acquire. But, but when, or, the, or, you know, acquiring is a good thing. I, I don't want to go down the road of saying just because companies are, are being acquired that that's a bad thing. What's, what's a bad thing is when that becomes the only option for, growing innovative companies is to get acquired by the incumbent that shouldn't be the only exit option. And again, the 8,000 to 4,000 problem, how, how few public companies we have today that needs to change. If we want to look at how successful are we, how successful will we be in the next 20 years compared to the last 20 years? It will be, I'll argue there will be a simple measure. How many public companies have we created? The fact that we've shrunk public companies over the last two decades is not a good sign. And shrunk them to a significant degree at one point over 50% shrinkage. That's not a good thing. The, 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 what, the ebbs and flows of how many public companies there are out there. Okay, that's fine. That's probably part of the, you know, the norm in, in, a, in a dynamic 
economy. But to think that we've gone now more than two decades and we're well below where we were in the early 2000s, that's just not a good indicator of, of you know, freedom to innovate. And we will close it there. Sounds so good. in the meantime, be sure to go to our website, taylorforgant.com, taylorforgant.invest on Instagram, and then email the show only at taylorforgant.com. And you can, of course, rate us on iTunes. In the meantime, till next week, I'm Doug. Jerry. And thanks for joining us on the Law Only Podcast.